everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 161st episode of the podcast that is taking you on a journey through the adventures of the Marvel superhero universe from way back in the day, Fantastic Four number one, 1961, and going all the way up to the brand new month of August 1967. Ooh. Starting fresh with a first comics in the the beginning of the episode with everything kind of like staggered as it has been. This feels strange. Like we haven't done this very much. Yeah. But if we do this month and then next month, then we have a new character. <gasps> oh my gosh. Really? I think, right? I don't know if he's just regular, scrolling ahead to, he does to debut. October. Marvel superheroes 12 in October. Yes. Yeah. That'll be Captain Marvel. I'm excited now. I'm like yeah, new spring in my step. We're kind of like stuck in this in a rut lately in terms of like the same characters and the same titles. Mm-hmm. We talked about that some last episode, and <laughs> I, I have a feeling that although not everything's going to be great today, there's definitely going to be a decent share of good comics in this episode. I think there's going to be some extreme good and extreme not good, so that should be interesting. All right. <laughs> But uh, speaking of extreme, I don't know how that's a segue. Oh, you're supposed <laughs> no, to say what we're, let, what we're, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to cover tonight. today. In case anybody's uh, new to the show or missed the homework last week, um, we're going to be covering in this episode. We're switching to a new format of probably five comics, unless four comics just goes too long. So our five comics are Sergeant Fury 47, Fantastic Four King Size 5, Strange Tales 162, Thor 145, and Amazing Spider-Man King Size 4. Their missions are often extreme. There. It took me two minutes to come up with something, but speaking of extreme. There you go. Uh, Sergeant Fury and Italian Commandos number 47, T and Sabotage, with a cover that has little to do with the inside, but it's very cool. It's got the howlers all on motorcycles running over Germans. Kind of neat. With our new artists that we love so much. Oh, no, it's not. It's with our old artist we don't love anymore. It's our, our, it's our new artist that. inking our old artist to, I think, oh. pretty spectacular effect. Yeah, because it kind of like has a little element of both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Stanley pompously presents a cataclysmic combat classic by the Marvel's by Marvel's own triumvirate of Titanic talent. Wow, that was three different uh, letters that they did that thing with. Gary Friedrich, <laughs> Dick Ayers, John Severin, and me, Artie Semek, and me, wow. Motorcycles supplied by Irving's Hire a Hog, Inc. So let's see. It does start the same way the uh, the cover is, is that's got all the howlers riding on motorcycles, but they're not riding on a mission. They're riding because they've got furlough, which means they get to have a vacation, which means after six months of hard, extreme, you know, missions, they get to go to... Britain and uh, relax, England, whatever. But on the way, of course, wouldn't you note it, there's an air raid. So they have to suffer that a little bit. Um, they managed to dodge all the missiles and the bullets and the bombs. There's no missiles in World War II. What am I talking about? Um, and they even managed to capture a couple pilots when one of the plane crashes. Um, and they leave them tied there on the tree for someone else to find because they got to get to their vacation. So uh, most of the howlers head one way. Nick 
goes to pick up Eric's sister again. We thought before they were just friends, but now she's got thought bubbles like, boy, when he was late, I didn't realize how much I missed him. I think I might like him. And of course he likes her because he's male and she's female. Um, Let's That's see. how these things work. Speaking Sometimes. of male and female, at the bar, most of the other howlers are all playing cards with Reb and losing. Eric convinces Dino to finally maybe move on a little bit from his grief over his ex-fiance slash spy slash person who killed herself to save him person. <laughs> and like, you know, maybe flirt with some of these ladies that Eric is flirting with. So he agrees to do that. Meanwhile, there's an ominous uh, innkeeper who keeps giving them the stink eye. More on that later. Pinky Pinkerton is the only one who's not accounted for because he's just taking a stroll in uh, uh, like a, uh, I don't know where, a park, I guess. Maybe because he's from here, so he's like happy to be back again. And I'm just making that up as headcanon. But anyway, he's all by himself strolling around when he gets attacked by some Nazis and he puts up a good show, but ultimately one of them whaps him in the back of the head and they throw him in a Studebaker and he wakes up in what looks like some sort of grimy basement and hovering over him is a hefty lady, blonde lady with a monocle by the name of Goethe Heinz. And Goethe wants to know where all the other howlers are. And she's going to beat it out of him. And he's like, well, I don't know, because I'm a howler, so I'm never going to tell you. So she starts to beat it out of him. Um, meanwhile, we got some shenanigans at the bar. Uh, basically between like, I don't know, it's kind of silly, but a couple of the ladies get a little catty because I don't know why. There's only so many men in the world, I guess. And Izzy is the only one who kind of notices for, at first that Pinky is missing, and that's kind of weird. Um Eventually, he is gone so long that – oh, actually, um, yeah, eventually he's gone so long that, that the rest of the Hellers actually start noticing. So Nick agrees to go look for him. As soon as he leaves, some horrible, like, um, white male guy, like, hits on Ilsa in a really bad, aggressive way. So she smacks him and punches him, and that makes him really mad. But then Dino steps in and knocks the guy out, which kind of makes her love Dino again also. So now she's kind of waffling between Fury and – Manelli. Um, Pinkerton manages to escape. He worms out of his ropes and he punches out the two Nazi thugs that were guarding him. Um, and then he makes his way upstairs only to find that he, the whole time he was in the same bar that all the uh, howlers were in. He was in the basement and the basement or, you know, and the guy who owns the place is in on it. And he pulls a gun when he sees Pinky pop out of the door and Pickerton knocks him out. And then he tells all the howlers, oh, that's right, because at some point they figure out where all the howlers are. This mysterious blue cloak guy figures out where all the howlers are, and he tells um, Eva Braun, what the hell's her real name? Uh, Goethe. Goethe Hines that, uh, that they planted a bomb under there, and they're going to kill everybody. So Pickerton's like, hey, guys, we got to move. And so they move just in time, and the place blows up. And then um, Goethe and the crew... Uh, get into a gunfight. MPs show up because this is actually allied ground, so they're outnumbered for once. The bad guys are outnumbered for once in this book. Um, and they try and capture him. Goethe almost gets captured by Pinkerton. He grabs her hair, but she turns around and raccoons his face. Um, and then this car with the mysterious cloak figure again pulls up beside her. She jumps in, and they escape. 
cloaked figure who looks very much like the stranger kind of with a worse chin takes off his fedora and it turns out it's Colonel Clow. And he's like, yeah, we really have this idea to invade Britain and we were hoping to take out the Howlers right now. But since we didn't, I think it's time for the Blitzkrieg, Blitzkrieg, Blitzkrieg Squadron. Wow, can't say that. Um, so then it ends with like them kind of just standing around scratching their head when Sam Sawyer comes um, screeching up in a car. He says, get in, get in. And they're all like, what's going on? And he says, you'll have to see next issue, next, if Britain should fall. So this was really good. Yeah. Three in a <laughs> row, right? Yeah. I really enjoyed pretty much every page of this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Let's they kind of the like finally figured out that they're like get, breaking out of this this template that they've been stuck in. Right. And I think adhering to that formula was starting to work against the book in significant mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what did the you think about really our, yeah, our Adkins uh, Severin combination? I honestly thought it was Severin for the entire issue. So I guess I didn't notice. But now that you say, now that you say that, I do see a little bit of difference in the way like Fury's drawn and like he's not so, I guess uh, Severin had a more unique look for Fury than the right. combo do. But it still has seven elements in it, which I like. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was a nice marriage of their two styles, um, mm-hmm. which is what I was hoping for when I found out this was what our art team was going to be. Because uh, mm-hmm. I knew Adkins was on this book for a long time, and then I was surprised when they said, hey, Severin's taking over. I was like, wait a second, that's not right. Um, yeah. But yeah, every face looks different. They look uh-huh. like actual faces and not just comic book faces. Um, yeah, really, really like the art. Presumably that's because Severin's still doing the finishing, so he like puts his little twist on what everybody looks like. Exactly. And, that's what I'm thinking too, yeah. Ayers is doing more like the layout decision making kind of stuff, but who knows? Mm-hmm. I've never made a comic. I don't know how these things work. Yeah. I um, have, but that doesn't mean I know how this particular comic worked. That's true, because Marvel has their own way of doing things. Mm-hmm. I really liked Nick and Ilsa at the beginning. They were super mm-hmm. cute. And I was a little bit sad whenever she took a shine to Dino again. Yeah, I didn't think that was going to be a thing. And then when it was in this issue, I was kind of surprised, but I did like it. But right. then, yeah, like now it's going to be one of those. I feel like in every series we read now, they have to create this like a uh, love triangle thing or something. Is this that what's going to happen? This one feels a little bit believable. Yeah, but does this mean like Dino and Fury are going to fight over her in 10 issues? You know oh, gosh, I, mean? I, I really hope not. <laughs> I hope not too, but I don't know. It's like a setup for that. I don't know if he said that he likes her, though, has he? I can't remember if he said that in this issue. Um, If Dino says that he likes Ilsa? If either of the men say that they like her that way. Well, Nick's taking her out. Yeah, and Fury did comment that she was pretty last Mm -hmm. time they hung out. But that doesn't mean he wants to marry her or anything. No, but I think he's thinking about her. Yeah, I think he is. That's probably just a good assumption. Um, Okay, so I did a little bit of look on the historical background here because they talk about a – an invasion planned for England uh, early uh-huh. in the comic. Mm-hmm. And again, history people, I'm not an expert on these things. I just do a little web searching, so always feel free to correct me. But my understanding is Germany planned on invading Britain pretty much from the beginning of the war. Mm-hmm. Once France fell in 1940, they were hoping England would be next, but it quickly became apparent that was not going to be easy to do. And their mm-hmm. Operation Sea Lion they had planned was nixed before 1940 was over. So this is 
we usually think of Sergeant Fury as being later in the war. I don't know of later plans to invade Britain. Well, we know based on our Doctor Who watching that, like, they at least got bombed a lot. Yeah. Attacking England all the time. Definitely. Yeah. But as far so as this like could technically invading, be any time, but, and it's just like a Marvel, Marvel invention that they're doing it now, or it could be later. We don't know. Yeah. Um, I liked Pinky in this. I, I feel like the, one of the things this comic lacks is giving everybody a chance to shine. Mm-hmm. And this is Pinky's issue. Yeah, because on page two, when they're all avoiding the the airstrike, and he's like, too bad you guys don't have bumper shoots. And I'm like, God, that's his only character beat. Mm-hmm. But then he ended up getting this entire issue, so that was actually pretty cool. And although Gabe had a couple of bugle remarks, he also had a couple of non-bugle remarks, so that was good. Maybe maybe Gabe will get an issue here pretty soon. I hope so. I don't probably. think he's had a single, other than being the source of someone's racism, like has he done, has he had anything? Like No. Dino has had stuff. I guess Izzy hasn't really had anything either, has he? I don't know. He's had a little bit. I think we met his parents once. Even though we've seen him relatively little in S.H.I.E.L.D., I feel like I know the Gabe Jones of S.H.I.E.L.D. better than I know the Gabe Jones of World War II. Yes. Yes. But in both cases, he still likes his trumpet. Uh, I know this can't be the first female Nazi we've had, but it's kind of the first memorable one we've had. They were raiding an outpost once, and they came across three women working in an office, and they all kind of fawned over Dino's good looks. He distracted them while the Howlers did their thing. <gasps> right. I remember but that. But she's like, she's like a actual character. Yeah, and she has a good look to her. It's interesting. It's, I mean, it's the whole mm-hmm. point is that she's not following traditional standards of feminism. Or no, sorry, femininity, mm-hmm. um, which Pinkerton makes a few cracks about, which mm-hmm. side note. You could take it as cracks about her being unattractive. I like to think of it as just more fodder for Pinky being gay. But, I was um, thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's like, believe me, I would never date you. It's like, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's, you know, she's got broad shoulders. She's tall. She has some traditionally unfeminine characteristics to her, but she's a memorable character. And she has and a monocle. see more of Gerta. She has a monocle. So all the best Nazis have monocles, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty sure that the, if if you'll forgive the phrase, listeners, I'm pretty sure that the mannish German woman is like a a, a trope, a stereotype that maybe is not totally. great, but totally. But this is 1960s, not the 1990s or 2010s, and so this is what we got. Yeah. So in a way, you're right. It's not great, and it's kind of a stereotype. But on the other hand, we don't have a lot of female representation in 1967, so it's like, oh, a female, a bad guy, right. So in a way, I liked it. But yeah, it also is a stereotype for sure. Did you notice that Pinkerton used the phrase, what a revolting development? I did. That made me That smile. was kind of odd. But like, I'm, I'm trying sure to figure It's a thing that people say, but I've only yes. ever heard Ben Grimm say it. I know. So that's what it's like. And I meant to like maybe look it up to see if there was any way of knowing where that came from. But I seriously doubt that would work. Yeah, but I've never heard anybody in the world except Ben Grimm say that. What a revolting development. <laughs> what a revolting development. Yeah. Um, you said in your synopsis that Ilsa punched out the jerk dude. She didn't. She slapped him, and then Dino stepped in with the punch. But as I was reading it, I thought it was Ilsa's punch, and I wanted it to be Ilsa's punch. Uh, well, what did she say she was going to punch him, I think? Yeah. I'll show you what. We'll see about that, you wolf. I've fought off better men than you with my eyes closed. And the next panel is a close-up of a fist punching him in the face. 
So I can but let yeah, that be Dino. her punch, and then Dino steps in to help with the rest of the fight. <laughs> Either way, she held her own, and then uh, Dino stepped in anyway. But um, where was Eric? His sister's being like molested. Oh shoot, that's right. He's in the story. He's in the bar, as far as I know, because he and Dino were picking up girls together. Yeah, they were, but he just didn't notice because he was too busy sweet talking some other some yeah. other lady. Yeah. And none of them care that he's German either. I kind of feel like that would be a thing, but I don't want to really bog down every story with that either. No, if we can look past that quickly and easily, I'm satisfied. Yeah. Um, The dude with the lifted collar, the turned up collar, I didn't really pay any attention to him through Uh the course of things. And then to see him revealed at the end was like, oh. I thought the guy who owned the bar was the mysterious blue person. Mm. And then it turned out it wasn't. I'm not sure that the guy at the bar was actually supposed to be in on it. I'm not sure. He he grumbles about there being Yanks in his bar and how they're, you know, stuck up and and the howlers arrive at the bar and Pinkerton gets captured completely separately. Yes, because they were interrogating Pinkerton as to where the rest of the howlers were. Right. And so how did they not know where they were if they were at the bar? Holding Pinkerton. You know what I mean? The bar that has a bomb in it that's going to blow up the howlers that they weren't expecting to show up at that bar. Yes. But he was (laughs) definitely in on it because page 14, Pinkerton comes out and says, I recognize your voice. You were down there earlier. And then he pulls a gun on him. Right. So I just, I don't know. That element of the story, which kind of includes the whole linchpin of the plot because of the bomb (laughs) thing. Yeah. I don't think that quite stands up to scrutiny, but I'll forgive it because there's a lot of other great stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That part was a little weird. Because they never really say like how they got the or how why they looked for Pinkerton in the park and nobody else, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if they recognized Pinkerton and captured him, that's great. If they captured him as part of a plot to get the Howlers, that's great. But the Howlers were in this bar, and they don't know <laughs> right. that they're the Howlers. <laughs> and downstairs, she's beating him, going, "Where are the Howlers?" Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, Do you think maybe does that mean that maybe Colonel Claw was like? totally fine with killing all his own people. He's like, don't worry, I found them, and I put a bomb right underneath them. See you later. That does seem a little bit ruthless. Yeah, but, you know, he he does have a high collar, and high collars yeah. mean evil. Which is that reveal. I, was like, I actually stopped for a second. It's like, like th- this book has never really done the whole sinister nemesis thing to any real effect, uh-huh. but that's what I felt like whenever he had me asked. It's like, oh, Klau is but, here. But then it was just Klau, like, was that kind of a letdown, or was new, that interesting? I mean, I like. I think he's supposed to be our new Strucker. Yeah, for sure. I'm willing to accept him, but I realize yeah. that he's not as awesome as Strucker because we don't know him as well as Strucker. But it's just like, why is he being mysterious if we've already seen him like 15 times? You know what I mean? Like, I was trying to figure out who is this new mysterious blue person. Oh, it's the same guy we've already been fighting. I felt that the way the way it just played to me is that. Mm. Um, Garrett is doing all of this stuff. She has a person that's talking to her, revealing that he's the head of the Blitzkrieg Squadron at the end is like a tease that uh, a force you already knew about is actually running machinations behind other stories you didn't know he was behind. Kind of increases him as like this intrigue factor. But but see, that's why I think it's the bar guy. They didn't do this right. Someone okay. someone messed up because on page nine, this mysterious figure comes down and gives El- or Greta or whatever the heck her name is, instruction, Gerda instruction and then pinky on page uh 14 comes up and says i recognize your voice you were the one giving her instructions oh and they have the same kind of nose and then all of a sudden 
No, because that guy gets knocked out and the blue cloak figure rescues Gerda and reveals himself. But I wonder if that was just a thing later. I don't know. It didn't go the way I thought, so therefore it's not correct. <laughs> it, it, it's highly possible there were a couple of balls dropped in the in the yeah. machina- the mechanics of yeah. the story. Yeah, but overall, Pinky without his enjoyable read, very yeah. much. Pinky without his glasses on the last page looked weird and old. Not to keep nitpicking, but that's also kind of funny. It's like the entire torture business was they don't show it, but like she's theoretically punching him over and over again. Mm-hmm. And he still has his sunglasses on the whole time. <laughs> the like, time. where's she punching him? <laughs> anyway. Should we pause and talk about the cartoon ad? What's the cartoon ad? In the middle of the book. After um, page 13. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a big deal. So we don't usually talk about the ads in these books because we're story focused. But this is the cartoon ad that would be leading into the new fall season. So you've got mm-hmm. some like 60s comic, 60s cartoons that were still in reruns when I was a kid. King mm-hmm. Kong, George of the Jungle, Casper the Friendly Ghost. I think I even saw some Beatles reruns. But you also have the debut of the Fantastic Four at 9.30 and Amazing Spider-Man at 10 o'clock. This was not the Herbie Fantastic Four. That came later, I guess. Huh? Right. That was in the 80s. Oh, that was the 80s? Yeah. I thought that was the 60s for some reason. Okay. Yeah, I don't really remember this one then. I don't think I've seen much of it, if any. I'm kind of Googling it right now. Hanna-Barbera does a pretty much straight-up adaptation of 20 comic book stories. Oh, wow. Where um, the production company makes Spider-Man, whose name is a little bit unusual and it has escaped me right now, they do like Spider-Man stories in cartoon form some of which are loosely based on cartoon on, on comic book stories. Um, I'm probably, I've probably seen the Spider-Man. That's like the classic. Yeah. Grand Trey Lawrence. That's the name of the company. So they're not really so much adapting comic stories, whereas the Fantastic Four cartoon does. Right. But this is the Spider-Man cartoon with the catchy theme song. And they're like reused animation and the Ditko swing and all that. Exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. Um, we were never successful in putting together a discussion of the Marvel superheroes cartoon from the previous year. So I don't know that we're going to talk about these cartoons, but you can rest assured listeners. I will be watching them along with the show. And don't forget the Beatles cartoon at noon. kids. Oh yeah. That's kind of weird. Catch the um, Beatles. Something else in this issue. I don't know. Did we just miss it before or what? But there's like a winner of the, uh, the Howling Commandos badge design or something what? like that. Where are you talking about? Um, after the letter page, there's a big pinup. This is it, you heroes. The ballots are in and the votes have been collected in our frantic howlers patch contest. It was close, but here's the three finalists or whatever, or the winner and the two runner-ups. It must have run in the letters pages, which we have not been reading. Yeah, because where did they ever show us all the options to vote on? You know, I know I don't think I ever saw that. But anyway, that's kind of a cool thing they did. Yeah, it, you're right. It's talking about three different options, and we never saw the other options. Huh, interesting. Number 13 was the winner, I guess. Which so is in kind the future, of a generic shield. In the future, if we see the red with a with a Billy Batson lightning bolt and a star at a number one, we know where it came from. Mm-hmm. They probably uh, picked it because it's easy to draw. Does it say who... Donated the first, the winner choice? It sure doesn't. But it does say who did the second and third, which is kind of weird. Yeah, weird. Does that mean that they cheated and nobody did that first one? 
I do like the idea of the third one. It's the howlers and it's a rifle over a uh, swastika that has been shot full of bullet holes. Uh-huh. That's fun. I, I just don't like where are they putting the patch on shoulders? Cause if so, that probably won't translate. You know, you're right. From that's a distance they, that would not look great. That's probably why they picked one just cause it's pretty simple. All right. Anyway, good issue. Good, good issue, which takes us to the fantastic four annual. Yeah, all right. <sighs> King size special, not a Tired single already. reprint featuring the Inhumans, the Black <laughs> Panther, and a most surprising announcer for Mr. Fantastic, and Michael Kaiser is tired already. It's like, please let there be some reprint. No. Oh, it's by the way, we have a great new villain, too. It's the Psycho Man. And this special bonus, bad, a Silver Surfer complete feature-length thriller. At the end. It says feature-length. Uh, it's like eight pages. What the heck's a feature in comics? Like two hours? I would think it was supposed to be like fills the entire comic instead of being separate stories. Uh-huh. So feature length would be like a good 20 pages. But I don't think sure. that Silver Surfer is 20 pages. I think it's like 10. No, no. It's Tales of Asgard feature length. Divide and Conquer, another spellbinding spectacular by Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby, inked by Jolton Jil- Joe Sinnott, lettered by Swingin' Sammy Rosen. Susan Storm has fainted inexplicably Reed is carrying her and all the other ones are looking on now lady listeners one of your gal friends if y'all are walking along and she just faints out of nowhere and she's a newlywed what is one suspicion that might go through your mind cancer okay yeah possibly you know (laughs) maybe poor diet choices or exerting herself but Uh. there's something else going on here which we'll get to in just a moment the lovely sue richards has suddenly faded her husband reed gently lifts her in his arms and that's all the intro you're going to need featuring the indomitable inhumans the bedazzling black panther the psycho man and the most frenetic double length free for all that you can shake a four bush at so they the lay- bedazzling black panther please don't describe him like that again <laughs> um so Sue's laid up. Everyone's all worried about her. And Ben's like, okay, I'll go see if Alicia's home because Susan's not feeling well. Meanwhile, Psycho Man, this dude in armor with a, um, a huge electronic tablet with uh, nozzles for fear, doubt, and hate, confronts some random dude and turns on his fear nozzle and says, uh, you know, he creates fear. This guy's been working for him, but Psycho Man's tired of him. The guy gets so scared, he runs out the window and dies. Uh, Psycho Man has these henchmen, and he turns on um, the uh, things for them, uh, making them doubt themselves that they'll never leave him because they're definitely going to be so, so um, devoted. Back at Alicia's apartment, Ben Grimm has gotten this yellow box. He doesn't know what it is. He wonders if it's a, a, a um, Yancey Street gift. But actually, it's a green monster. But it's not <laughs> a green monster. He fights this green monster that huddles in fear we turn the page, and it's actually Psycho Man walking into the apartment, taking the yellow box while Ben and Alicia cower in fear on the ground. So we don't know what this yellow box is. All we know is that it was delivered to Alicia's apartment, and Psycho Man has come to get it. Uh, so they fly away in their um, action figure car. Meanwhile, the island where the Inhumans have been hiding out has recently been purchased by the Black Panther. The billionaire Wakanda chieftain has named it Panther Island, and he's here scoping out his new digs. 
and he finds that there are already some people here, whenever he was pretty certain this is uninhabited. And it's the Inhumans. They get into a little bit of a scuffle till Black Bolt steps up and says, and so they stop scuffling. And <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that just kind of came out that way. <laughs> Yep, that's uh, it. And uh, Black Bolt flies away, and Black Panther's like, wow, he can fly. And uh, Black, Black Bolt uses his electron powers to turn water into a bridge. They all follow him onto this little uh, um, rock promontory that's sticking out of the ground. Karnak uses his breaking powers to break up the rock, and it's a dome. Like, ooh, wow, that's cool. So later back in New York, um, Ben and Alicia have arrived. They're like, okay. We need to go, um, I'm sorry, not Ben and Alicia. Yeah, Ben and Alicia. We need to go after those guys who have captured this package from Alicia. We need to go after them now. And Reed's like, I'm sorry, we can't because um, Sue is not really in the best shape to go fight bad guys. And she's like, Reed, do you have to tell them? He's like, yeah, I got to tell them. <laughs> We're not keeping this a secret. It's an annual. We got to tell. We're having a baby. So everyone's like, a baby. And Ben's like, I'm practically an uncle. And so uh, the other Fantastic Three are like, okay, Reed, you can stay here with Sue if you want to, but the rest of us could go get the people who took the, the, the we don't have to call quits on the team just because she's, she's having a baby. So they do. And so Psycho Man, um, he has his henchmen, the Inhumans and Black Panther together are attacking his base, which was underneath that um, bubble they found in the water. Um, the yellow box is like a fifth element or something that he needs for his giant size mind ray to extend his psycho powers over the entire Earth and take over humanity. So Black Panther and the humans are there to stop him. Fantastic Four show up and they're here to stop him. What's say Fantastic Four? The Fantastic Two, because Reed and Sue stayed behind. Also, Crystal stayed behind because, I don't know, too dangerous for a girl, even though the rest of her team is down here, including Medusa. Um, and from here, it's fight. There's a yellow monster. Um, there's fear rays. People get shot up. Gorgon shows up late to the party and he comes down to help out. Um, they find Triton captured. They free him. Um, what else? Psycho Man says that uh, the, they, they corner him and he's like, the whole reason I'm doing this is because I live on this little tiny subatomic world and we're just, we're filling it up. We need to expand. So instead of going to another atom of the trillions of atoms that are out there, <laughs> we thought we could just all grow to your size and live in your world instead. But first we got to kill all of you first. And they're like, man, that is some kind of something. In any case, they beat up Psycho Man, and that's basically the end of the story. Mm -hmm. Literally, he tells his backstory. They beat him up. The end. <laughs> well, as annuals go that we have read this year and are going to read this year, mm -hmm. a.k.a. in about 20 minutes, mm -hmm. um, this is my favorite one, probably. Probably. So far. Yeah. Um, it had some, definitely had some good stuff to it. But there's also some questions. So, <laughs> and also this one actually fits into the, the um, continuity after last month's issue we didn't end that in the middle of an arc so unlike the other annuals which kind of had to be yeah, like snuck in true. somewhere and speaking of continuity now if you've 
just listened to our show for the first time, welcome. But I believe two episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode, I'm not sure, we talked about the previous FF issue, and there was a scene where Rich Reed Richards is like, no, Sue, you have to stay behind. It's too dangerous. But he doesn't say why. Mm-hmm. And this is like the first time he's ever done that. And so we were speculating, does that mean that scene happened after this annual? Or was he just being horribly jerky? Um, I'm going to just, for the benefit of the doubt, say it happened after this annual because it doesn't really matter one way or the other. You could interchange these stories, even though technically the release was, uh, you know, the annual came later. But uh, Yeah, I like that even happening before. I think either way, him telling Sue, you can't do anything, especially now, is a very, very, very outmoded view of what women can and can't do while they're pregnant. Well, I don't know what the doctor recommends as far as superheroing is concerned because, <laughs> you know, that's not a real thing. But I, just as far as him worrying about her, at least there's a reason as opposed to us being like, you know, what issue was that? Us being 67 issues into the Fantastic Four before he suddenly goes crazy sexist on us, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but again, in that issue, they don't say because you're pregnant, you need to stay back. No, they tease at it and we teased at it. And I, I like the idea of that yeah. being because of the secret that only they knew at that time. Yeah. But what's uh, so? Yeah. What's your experience with a psycho man? Um, not much. He's definitely one of those like memorable uh, handbook uh, index pe- things because he just looks so interesting. Right. Um, it's very hokey. The fear, doubt, hate, but at the same time, it's very iconic. Also, somehow. Mm-hmm. Like. It's sort of cheesy, but it's also kind of cool. Like when I saw him on the cover, I was actually kind of interested. Uh, but yeah, like we don't really delve too much into his uh, reason for being other than they're running out of space. But he's right. kind of cool. The only other time I had seen him before the, reading this for the first time was whenever I was first getting into comics, before I started collecting regularly, or maybe some of the first back issues I bought, because my memory is a little fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spider-Man annual crossover that happened the year before I started collecting um, involved Spider-Man going down into the microverse and oh, Scott Lang Ant-Man wow. was in that. I didn't Ooh. know what a Scott Lang was at the time. Actually it was Ant-Man um, and psycho man was down there. He was the big bad of that story. I guess I was just Googling him. I guess he shows up in the John Byrne run. So I must've read that issue, but I don't remember it at all. Um, yeah. He's just one of those like, Oh, that fantastic four guy. Kind of need to read his his origin or his you know first appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, I had questions about the story, so that's what I'm wondering. What he's mad at those three peons because they delivered the yellow box to the wrong address, right? So what does that mean? Like, did he order these yellow components that he needs for his gun off of Amazon, and they entered the wrong address in the shipping or something? I don't understand any of that part. Like, what the hell are these boxes, and where did he get them, and how come they didn't just have them when they came back? Like, did they buy them from somebody and have them shipped? What are they? I don't it, get it. it. They're just weird components, and mm-hmm. they were. This one was delivered to Alicia. And I don't. Did they deliver it to her? I thought it was just like that's, misdelivered somehow. Yeah, but that's why he was mad at them. Because like, what did he say? That's why they went there. Because it's like, oh, that's where you delivered it. I gotta go get it. Uh. Where did he say that, though? Now I'm, like, second-guessing myself. Oh, the first one. The first of the bad guys on page three. You're tasked to deliver component five, but you delivered it to the wrong address. It was an accident. Give me another chance. You know the price of failure, and so the guy runs out the door and dies. So he was supposed to... 
henchman is supposed to bring the big yellow box to the headquarters. Mm-hmm. And instead, he goes to random residential location and mm-hmm. just leaves it at the door. And then goes to headquarters? And then goes to headquarters. <laughs> so he knew where headquarters was. But yeah. So this, this makes pretty much no sense. <laughs> right. That's what I didn't really get. And they don't really say what those yellow things are or where he went to go get them in the first place. But uh, outside of that, you know, <laughs> if you get if you get past that part, I guess the rest of it makes sense. Most of it, until we get to the Psycho Man's reason for being, but we'll get to that in a second. Y- yes, exactly. I was sitting here thinking during all the action, isn't it weird that Black Panther is meeting the Inhumans? Like, they're his second Marvel interaction after the Fantastic Four. But then I realized what this annual is. Hmm. This is all of the Fantastic Four supporting heroes in one book. That's right. Just like all the other annuals have been. Kind of. Instead of no, instead of villains, it's all supporting characters. Right, yeah, because it was the, the we've had some masses of villains, but this is mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't have a silver surfer in this first story because he has a backup uh, story. Right. You know what I gotta say, I hate to admit this, but I actually didn't hate the inhumans in this one. Right? But uh maybe that's just because we've got past their origin shenanigans and now we can just move on and they are what they are speaking of origin shenanigans we'll be getting to thor soon <laughs> yeah but i remember really liking that origin miniseries so hopefully you will too i don't know baby baby is really cool that was probably the best part of the annual but then again i always think anytime there's like just down downtime family time is usually the best part of an issue for the fantastic four so mm-hmm. this was just cool to see the celebration and everybody being happy and big giant panels and that was neat. And there's a page 14. There's a really cool picture of all of them celebrating. And mm-hmm. I realized that even though our central team has three men and one woman, they have brought in two other supporting characters who are female to help kind of round out half and half. So mm-hmm. we have Sue and Alicia and Crystal. Yeah. Now, they're not nearly as well used as much as the guys are, but at least we have numbers. I think Sue, Alicia, and Crystal need to go out. Mm-hmm. We need a story with them bonding because, like, we don't really even know what Sue thinks of Crystal right now. They've never interacted, really. Right. It's kind of weird. Like, Crystal's just, like, like Johnny's arm candy. And, you know, uh, in theory, some relationships end up in, in, in you know, long-term commitments or possibly marriage. And so this is a potential sister for her. Same yeah. with Alicia. It seems like she's living with them, so. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, Alicia. Yeah, that is weird that, I guess... I don't know. I'm trying to think. Has there ever been any like Sue and Alicia moments? Because Alicia's been around a long time. Other than the fact that they look alike from the first stories, I can't think of anything about Sue and Alicia. That's right. That's right. So Alicia and Johnny's old girlfriend used to go out in Strange Tales, right? Yeah. Yeah, because they did double dates all the time. Mm -hmm. So we need to do that. Or have Alicia and Crystal get together. That's fine, too. Something. I don't know. I was expecting the baby announcement last annual because they get married in three. And Mm -hmm. I thought the baby announcement was four and um, I was off by a year. So it's announced now and it'll be born. They actually, I I saw some of this in some of the letter columns. They're like, we'll have him be born whenever it's, you know, time for him to be born. We're not following calendars here. I'm actually amazed that it is this soon, but I don't know when I thought. She got pregnant, but I didn't. I didn't think it was the '60s for some reason. Well, because by the '80s and '90s, Franklin Richards is still like a very small person. Mm-hmm. Shoot, in the 2000s, when I read some Fantastic Four, he was elementary school age. So time does not exactly go by. 
No, but it doesn't for the adults either, to be fair. So it's like, it's kind of difficult. It's like, kind of like The Simpsons, how Bart is just perpetually young forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Reed and Sue don't age 20 years, even though Franklin ages 10. So it's odd. It's weird. It is odd. Don't don't have children in comics with a sliding timeline, I guess. Well, and also the thing with children in comics is that sometimes they get younger. <laughs> <laughs> or in the case of Superman, they get older. Right. Or they age at different he- rates. You have... Yeah, right. Franklin is an elementary school age child. He has a little baby sister, and then she's an elementary school age child while he is still an elementary school age child. So Yes, yes. Very weird. And that's the thing about the Fantastic Four is I don't know a whole lot about the history. I know that Franklin is born. Yeah. And I know some of the ideas of the stories around Franklin. I know that there's Valeria way down the road. I know some of the things about her, but I don't know anything in between or any of the details of any of that. So However far our podcast goes, or if I continue to read on my own, it will be a first time for a lot of the story for me. I just know that the the fantastic children are always trouble. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just, it just never works out. Don't have babies if you're super powered, I guess. Oh, wait. Franklin Richards and Rachel Gray get together in the future, don't they? I believe he is in at least one or two of those kind of series, yeah. Okay, okay. So Reed and Sue's child and Jean Grey's child <laughs> mm-hmm. are going to be an item. For some reason, yep. I, I'd never thought about that before. That's that's fun. Yeah. There's only so many kids to hook up with, I guess. I guess. There's a lot of action in this, which was, you know, fine as far as it went, but also easy mm-hmm. to kind of breeze past. Mm-hmm. I feel like Black Bolt keeps getting new powers. I don't know if oh, that's the, true. The Electron thing with the water? Electron thing with the water. He also was able to sense drama, which is what brought them to the the, the hideout in the first place because he just sensed that there was a problem in this rock. Mm. Uh, was that a thing he had before? Black Bolt spider sense? I don't know. I've heard of his electron beam before, but not about him just like sensing sensing trouble. Well, yeah, it was cool. It was a cool fight. I like I like Gorgon showing up and like stomping out the illusions and all that. Uh, but yeah, so outside of the Triton thing. I mean, the uh, Psycho Man thing, origin. Yeah, because I kind of went over that synopsis. is like, you live on an atom. You're already tiny. If you mm-hmm. need another world, choose any of the trillions within spinning distance. Don't get bigger because that just makes things more crowded. Yeah. Notice they didn't show his face either. So does that mean the Psycho Man that we're seeing is like just some sort of automaton thing being controlled by a tiny person? Or did oh. he get bigger? Because when they open him up, they don't find anybody. It reminds me of that Men in Black, that little alien dude in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, Orion's belt. I think okay. maybe. Because I think I think I remember seeing something in the phrasing that made you think that he wasn't actually there, that he was being controlled. Yeah. And yet here within this artificial body, which I operate by mental control, I'm oh. in possession of the one weapon which can destroy you all. Yeah. But he does say he's within the artificial body. So is he still ultra-microscopic? Maybe that was kind of <laughs> left unanswered. Flipping tiny levers. Yeah, yeah. Because Black Panther says the costume's empty. There's no one inside. Uh huh. So yeah, he is. He is tiny. He's he's a tiny dude inside that. Co- okay. Yeah, that's funny. That's psycho, man. Yeah. Um. As usual, I kind of looked up where all these people are going to be. Okay. So Black Panther is about to join us for a, a somewhat lengthy story and tells us suspense and Ooh. Captain America. Ooh. So he's present during that transition. Mm-hmm. The Inhumans are about to be back on the regular because they're going to have a backup in Thor starting next month. 
Okay. And I'm nervous about that, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. And Psycho Man comes back in less than a year, surprisingly, in Fantastic wow. Four 76. Okay. All right. So there's a second story that is not continuity. <sighs> it's written and drawn by Kirby. It's Kirby and Stan having hijinks while Roy Thomas hides. And every panel, Jack and Stan are wearing something different. They're doing, like, Grant and Lincoln. They're doing Loki and Kid Colt. They're doing Knights of the Round Table. They're doing um, The Wizard and Sergeant Fury. All this stuff. It's a few pages. It's just silly. Then we get a yeah. um, a gal. Sorry? I was just going to say, it's funny, yeah, but, like, you know. I shouldn't have breezed past it. Yeah, what'd you think about it? That was fine. It was funny. Kind of make. Is this what, like, Brandeck is like? Because I never actually read that. But uh, probably the same kind bit. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Not too far silly, off. Silly lampoony stuff. Then we get a gallery of the Inhumans. Everyone gets a splash page, which is all great, including Crystal, Maximus the Mad. Then there's a page of like lots of supporting characters, Galactus, Watcher, Surfer, Black Panther, Wyatt Wingfoot's hanging out back there, Alicia, <laughs> Lockjaw, Doctor Doom. Yep. If we have to name them for you, go back to Yancey Street. Well, booyah, I just did it. There's a really great two-page spread of the team. Uh-huh. Up in the air doing something um, impressive and silly at the same time. Yeah. If you're a fan of the thing, you may not love this two-page panel. But otherwise, it's pretty dynamic. And that brings us to the peerless power of the Silver Surfer, also representing the uncanny Quasimodo from what? last year's annual. Yeah. The Silver Surfer, perhaps the most daring, the most dramatically original star ever to illuminate the magnificent Marvel firmament. A Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby powerhouse presentation, inking F. Chikoya, lettering Artie Semek, continued after next page. Silver Surfer is surfing through the skyways. He's playing with some birds, and then some hunters think that he's a bird, and they start shooting at him. He's like, in all the universe, only here do wanton beings slay innocent creatures in the name of sport, which is the most uh, ridiculous thing the Silver Surfer has ever said. Prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. Right. Lots and lots of people out there hunting for sport. So he goes flying through the city, bemoaning his um, situation. He's like, oh, wait a second. My surfer senses can tell that somebody is in anguish. And down in a basement is a robotic face on a computer moaning about how he can think, he can understand, but he's been abandoned by his master. He's more than just a machine. Why have you forsaken me? Why have I been abandoned? He's the ultimate computer, and he's been screaming like this for a year, I'm thinking, Ouch. because it was last annual that, he, that we saw him. <laughs> so Silver Surfer's like, oh, you poor guy. He's like, yes, poor guy, that's me. I just wish I had, I could move around. I could have human form. My master said he was going to give me human form and I'm trapped here in this computer box. And so for surface, like, okay, I can help you. I have all these powers. I'll give you some human form. And zippity zappity, there you are. You have a body now. And Quadizmo is like, oh, I have a body now. I'm going to kill everybody, including <laughs> you. So he does. He, he thrashes Silver Surfer. He busts out of the building. He starts thrashing people. And Silver Surfer finds like, okay, you know what? No. That's, that's, that's like the opposite of what you were supposed to do. So I'm going to turn you into a statue on top of a clock. The end. I'm very disappointed in Quasimodo. As a character or in his choices? His choices. I felt sorry for him. And right? then it turns out he's a jerkhead. So, oh, well. 
It's like, I, I, I have no respect for all of your life choices. Like when we left him, it was like he was this computer that had awakened and realized that he exists and he wonders who he is and why he's V'ger, but stuck. And mm-hmm. like, and then as soon as he gets a form and could do anything with it, it's like, oh, I'm just going to do my programming and kill everything. Oh, man. Come on, Quasi. Did this feel like a tryout for a Silver Surfer solo comic? Maybe. Because that's not too far away. It's launching yeah. in about a year. And so I'm wondering if this is like a tryout for that. Sadly, when it does launch, Kirby will not be involved, which will be a big problem for him. Mm. But um, it feels like here they're like, hey, then what do you think about Silver Surfer? We get the Surfers? new gods. We do get the new gods as a result of that. Because, uh, uh, is this like trying to think like this is the only annual we've ever read, maybe ever that like had a, just a supporting character get a backup story. Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I'm thinking, but it feels true. It does feel true. Cause like in the eighties and stuff, that's a thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This might be the first time that's happened where they take a supporting character and give them their own story. Yeah. Like even tales of Asgard always have Thor in it. Right. Basically, except for those few issues where it was just like the origin of the world and Odin or whatever. But or they, they did a spotlight of like young Loki and Balder got a story, but mm-hmm. that's part of the concept of what's going on with Thor's world. Mm-hmm. This is let's take somebody who is a supporting character and make them a star of their own story. Yeah. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. I like that. All right. Well, speaking of neat, let's do the opposite, shall well, we? Real quick, Surfer is back in Fantastic 472, which is not that far away. No. Because we just did 67. Uh And Quasimodo is back in the X-Men 48, which is a little bit farther away because we just did like 36, I think. Uh, I'm sorry. uh, Quasimodo just died. So that makes no sense. I guess it'd be another Quasimodo. Quasimo 2. Quasimo (laughs) 2. Hanging out with with Red Guardian 1. (laughs) Right. Uh, Okay. Strange Tales 162. From the Neverworld comes Nebulous. Nebulous? I don't know. It doesn't matter because Strange Tales starts with Nick Fury, not Doctor Strange. So we actually get a story called So Evil, The Night. No, you're not seeing things. It's exactly what it looks like. Remember a few issues ago when Fury told a new recruit to replace his old wrecked car with another? You're just in time to fasten your seatbelt, so let's go. That's in order. Um, Let me just say that, Whatever. Stanley Editor, Jim Starego, Writer-Illustrator, Frank Giacoya, Inker, Sam Rosen, Letterer. And yeah, Cap is sitting in Nick's new, I guess it's a Lamborghini. Is that what you call it? Oh, Porsche. No, no. That was the old car. The new car is a Ferrari 330 for those of you who like cars. Um, but it's like invisible. But it's not really invisible. It's just made of glass fiber or clear fiberglass. So fiberglass. I don't know why I said fiberglass like that. Um, so basically from a distance, you can't see it. But you can kind of see it when you're standing right next to it. Um, so they go about that for a long time because they really like James Bond movies and everybody's favorite part of a James Bond movie is the Q scene. So they have a Q scene. It changes colors from orange, red, purple, blue to black. Um, and it's cool. And then Captain America leaves and Mike scratches his head. What the hell just happened? Anyway, uh, the Contessa, what's her name? Contessa something or other? DeFontaine. Okay, so Contessa, she shows up. And she's like feeling bad about how she treated him badly, but then he kind of treats her, Nick kind of treats her badly back, and they kind of give each other the cold shoulder. But then they also drive in their new car together while she cries. So fun relationship. They go to this giant splash page of Starenko goodness that is the new like uh ward or whatever. And they have this big giant mind expanding probe thingy. 
And they use it actually to amplify uh, what's his face, Johnny Wu or whatever. Is that his name, Johnny mm-hmm. Wu? Jimmy Good. Wu. Oh darn it! I was so close to not being racist. Jimmy Wu. Uh, they put him in the thing, and like now he's kind of telepathic. I guess anybody who sits in it could be telepathic. And since Jimmy Wu fought the Yellow Claw like a billion times in the fifties, he reaches out and he senses where the Yellow Claw is. These little robot arms mark it on a map. And then Nick's like, okay, I'm going to take off and leave both you and the Contessa here. And Jimmy's like, dude, you should take me. I'm used to fighting him. And he's like, no, no, this is my show. And he gets in his new Ferrari and he drives around and they see him even though it's invisible. And they chase him and he ends up leaping out of it and using shield suction cups to like hold on to the top of the bad guy car. And then one of the bad guys jumps on the top of the car and they have like this Ultron Captain America fight on the top. And then ultimately that car crashes and then Nick takes the agents. One of the agents remains intact and not burned alive. So he takes his costume because the Yellow Claw agents all have their own like Hail Hydra kind of costumes. And he goes to the place. He pretends to be one of the guards. At first, you think Yellowclaw has fallen for it because he's there. But pretty soon you realize, no, no, Yellowclaw is totally up on the fact that this is really Nick Fury. That weird henchman-looking guy with the sunglasses from the last issue pops out of nowhere with a gun, says, we're on to you, sucker. And then the floor opens up, and Nick Fury falls into the ocean where a giant squid octopus kills him. The end. Or to be continued, depending. My octopus friends are being maligned once again. I'm sorry. Is it an octopus or a squid? I really, it doesn't say. It's an octopus. Okay. I kind of thought it was an octopus. It's giant so, and it's white. Are there really albino octopuses? Octopuses? Octopuses, you said. Yep. Yeah, yeah I remember. Their coloring mm-hmm. is, is pretty variable. Um, the ones I've seen in restaurants tend to be rather <laughs> gray in color, but when uh, you cook them, their sensors red. So I don't know. Okay. They can change color, right? I think some can. Yeah. For camouflage. Okay. Well, maybe this is like a icy area. So it's camouflaged white. I don't know. So I think we're really into full on Starenko shield. Totally. But John, why did Captain America leave? I don't understand. <laughs> I, don't I was looking forward either. to this third part where he actually does something. He got called in just yeah. to bring Jimmy Woo in because Jimmy Woo knows the Yellow Claw. And then Fury's like, I don't need either one of you. I want to go do my thing. Yeah. And the whole Cap action was all a flashback mm-hmm. to the time they failed. And Cap, for some reason, has zero desire to undo that failure, which seems totally in character. Yeah, it's weird. It's very weird, and it was really disappointing because like, I was like, oh, uh, we get to sneak in some Cap appearances in a non-Cap book. But then we didn't because he left. And I know Whatever. the fact that this is tying into 1965, whenever Marvel history didn't really exist as much yet, has mm. also been kind of strange. Yeah. Okay, so we're now back in the present. And if you recall, this story arc overlaps with his presence in the Avengers uh-huh. and his presence in Tales of Suspense. Right. It go if I remember correctly, it goes uh, Strange Tales, Avengers, Suspense. So he says in this issue. So this is his first story arc. Then he says Tony Stark is picking me up. Tony Stark's on his way to pick me up. And then from here, he makes that surprise appearance in the Avengers, where he uh, who are they fighting? I forget. Um, somebody uh, kind of pedestrian. 
Yeah, and he just shows up out of nowhere and gives him a big wallop, and everybody's like, yay, Captain America. It's that issue where Goliath had to like, uh, oh, wow, it's all coming back to me except for the villain. But like the issue with the dragon man and Hercules had to fight the dragon man while Wasp is unconscious. Was that Diablo? Yeah, it was because Goliath had to like fight off the Avengers because they were using Wasp against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he helped him against Diablo. Okay, but so how did that work? Where's Iron Man? Tony Stark picks up Cap and takes him to the Avengers and then just leaves? That's weird. Didn't make I, sense. I guess because it's it's Cap and his cronies. Tony doesn't have time for him. <sighs> Tony provides transport as a courtesy, but I think they really like just weren't all talking to each other around this time for some reason. <laughs> or yeah, Sorenko's just on his own path. We can come up with headcanon reasons. Cap's like, Tony, I need a ride. Tony's like, sure, I don't have a date right now. Where are you going? Uh, the Avengers, they're having some fights. Let's go over there. It's like, okay, I'll drop you. Then I'm going to go have a date. That's how Maybe Tony just sent a vehicle. Maybe not. Tony just sent an Iron Man without Tony inside. <laughs> there you go. Or just like a Quinjet that's robotically powered or something. You know the little cartoons of Batman riding on Superman's back? Uh-huh. <laughs> that's Captain America. He's riding on yeah. Iron Man. <laughs> God. Um, but yeah, so Fury thinks he's being cool. But then he's not. He totally gets captured. Did you think that dialogue from What's Her Face on page six six was odd, or did I just not get it? Like when he goes to leave, the contestant's like, he just likes, he's just like they said, in love with danger, couldn't wait to go alone into the night, into the night, so evil. So evil? Who's evil? The night or the night? That's the title of the story, The Night So Evil. Okay, see, I didn't get it. I, I didn't deep, either until just deeper. now thinking about it because it does seem like she's saying he's evil for yeah. doing that. Yeah, it's like she thinks he's evil. That's weird. No, he's going into the dangerous darkness, and he's okay, in so love that's with a book it. Or something? That's what she's promoting. I think it's a quote or a reference to a poem. Or, I haven't looked it up. Oh, um, okay. But she right. had a moment earlier in the story where she was sort of telling her background and getting kind of teary eyed, and he's like, "Yeah, that's how everybody feels. Ever lost a body in a war." <laughs> You can't be uh, you can't be emotional with Nick because he's not going to return the favor. You know, I feel like I might be Nick Fury sometimes. I try really hard not to because I've lost a lot of people. Uh-huh. As of recording this, I'm taking the day off from work tomorrow because it's the anniversary when three people in my family were all killed on the same day. Fun times. But so when other people are dealing with death, I have mm-hmm. to remind myself to show a little blasted compassion because yeah. for them, it's fresh and raw and hard. And for me, it's like, oh. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so her parents, because I didn't talk about this in the summary, I forgot that she did tell us her backstory. Her parents were killed for aiding the resistance, but they don't really say what that means, I guess. Um, Contessa Valentina de Fontaine, I'm guessing she's uh, Italian. So they okay. were aiding their Italian resistance because Italy was taken over by the Nazis. They had a, a new government set up. Oh, right. So her family was in the underground, and her parents okay. were killed. Well, there you go. That's what I'm going to explain on that. So that's why he says that's the same for anybody who's ever lost a buddy in a war. Mm-hmm. Same war. Yeah. I thought if I could carry on in their places, perhaps their death would not be in vain. He's like, yep, I know that feel. Mm-hmm. And she's like, then S.H.I.E.L.D. contacted me, thought I could be help for them. And he's like, yeah, I think you will be helpful. But for now, I'm going to say goodbye and go off and do stuff on my own. Yep. As the head of the CIA, I'm going to do all the missions by myself. Jimmy Woo makes psychophysical contact with the location of 
the yellow claw, who of course is in Chinatown, which mm-hmm. I guess makes sense because yeah, if you're going to hide somewhere and you are Chinese, then why not hide amongst a lot of other you know Chinese residents? Sure. Um, but then we get the cool action scene with the car. That was pretty cool. There's there's a lot of stuff to really like in this. There's some weird oddities. I think I'm not loving it as much as I wanted to, and so I'm feeling disappointed, but there is a lot of good stuff going on here. Are you loving it more or less than what it used to be? Well, see, there's a lot of what used to be levels out there, right? (laughs) Well, I mean, what it used to be pre-Sterenko. Like, it was a different – it was Nick in a suit with a bunch of S.H.I.E.L.D. guys. Sterenko took it over during a really low point in the series. Yeah. And it took a little while for him to bring it out of that low point in the series. Um, because his own art, when he first started, his own art was really slipshod. Mm-hmm. If you're, yeah. Um, I think I, think I like it better. The, yeah. But yeah. I feel like we need to give it a little more room to breathe, though. Like it's still really new. Mm-hmm. And he's still maybe trying to find himself. But like, I think like all this, like Nick Fury as a secret agent guy is kind of cool. I don't know. Mostly working for me. It's a secret agent man against a secret Asian man. I guess these last two issues with the flashback that kind of offended me uh, weren't so great. But before that, I remember liking, like seeing his apartment and mm-hmm. like the new setup and all that. So maybe if we just get past this weird yellow claw business, it'll be cooler. Should we move on to th- Doctor Strange? Oh gosh, I have to summarize that too, huh? Ha-ha. From the Never World comes, is it Nebulos? Because Nebulous has in my head a U just in it. Nebulous, yeah. Okay. Let's just say Nebulous because that makes more sense. So it's just like this green floaty dude with a weird top and no bottom. I don't know. He's like a fish guy or something. Ponder well these most wondrous words, O true believer. Marooned beyond time in the world of the million perils, Doctor Strange rescues a fellow castaway, Victoria Bentley, a beautiful mystic enslaved by the evil Baron Mordo. Is that what happened? Drawn, she knows not why, to this terrifying universe by the fearsome being who now confronts them. From the workshop of the wondersmith Stan Lee comes this Jim Lawrence, Dan Atkins' epic of enchantment, lettered by Sam Rosen, loused up by Irving Forbush. So, I was about to say Nick Fury, but that's a different story. Doctor Strange is like, dude, got to get back to Earth. Earth's about to blow up. And Nebulous is like, I don't really care about your Earth the way you do, but I kind of care about it for different reasons. Here, hold this stick. And Doctor Strange holds the stick, and then he's like, oh, you tricked me. He's like, yes, now you are my pawn, and you can go nowhere without me knowing about it because this is my stick of awesome. And I will send you back to Earth holding this stick. And you can do your thing, and I'll keep the girl captive as collateral or a ransom or whatever. So he sends Doctor Strange back. Doctor Strange confronts Mordo, who is about to, like, I don't know, do something with the world that's bad. They get into a big fight. Turns out the stick has an advantage in that not only can Doctor Strange not get rid of it, but no spells seem to affect it. So Doctor Strange just holds up the stick every time Mordo zaps him with spelly stuff. And uh, fends him off. And then Doctor Strange retaliates by shooting Mordo and sending him into another dimension, basically. Then Doctor Strange goes back to the uh, uh, hourglass that the Living Tribunal left, which was how much time he had to save the Earth before the Living Tribunal just said, screw it, 
and destroys all of Earth. The hourglass is still running, though, which surprises Doctor Strange because he just beat Mordo and, by extension, I guess all the other bad magicians under Mordo's thrall. But it's still running. So he zaps at it and he's like, what's going on? Why is it not running? And then that causes him to like be teleported back to um, Nebulous. And Nebulous is like, hi, why don't you just save the Earth the entire time? Because I have a nefarious plot in mind. He takes his stick back. And Doctor Strange is like, well, you may have a plot, but look behind you. Here comes the Living Tribunal. But then they don't show us that because it 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 ends. So next Scorching-ish, Death of a Planet, a vivid vision of cataclysmic catastrophe that you dare not miss. Mike. Yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion mm-hmm. that nobody knows what's going to happen next. <laughs> Including and the people they, writing this? <laughs> yeah. When they get to the next issue, they're like, okay, what now? Well, how about uh, this? And then they just I, do it. I think Nebulous is the living tribunal. I, sure. I just made that up. I don't know. Nothing he has done makes sense. He gave Doctor Strange the stick that puts him under his thrall, but then Doctor Strange is able to do exactly what he wanted to do anyway, and the stick actually empowers him to do it. Yeah. So we've taken care of the evil forces, which is what we've been trying to do ever since... Okay, so as we're recording, 149 just came out, which was the Fantastic Forelock, which is when he's fighting Zom and he gets the Forelock, which is what unleashed all the evil that we're still dealing with. Which, by the way, was in order to defeat Umar, the the secret sister of Dormammu. So this is like (sighs) one thing after another. And I really feel like they're just like, okay, it's a new month. What next? I mean, even the caption doesn't gel because, like, they're all saying, like, this lady is under Baron Mordo's spell. But it's like, no, she's not. She was under the spell of any person who had the slightest inkling of magic in their abilities is now an evil magician because of the top knot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Which included Mordo. And evidently Mordo Nebulous wasn't, because Nebulous drew her there, too. But Mordo wasn't the one responsible for all that shenanigan. No. And then they're, they're acting like in this story he was. And once you destroy Mordo everything's fine. It's like, no, that actually wouldn't have solved anything. That's just one guy. That's just one guy. That's not all the evil in the world that was supposed to be destroyed. That Dr. Strange is like, I will destroy all this world. I'll destroy all the evil. So you don't destroy all the world. I do think though, that now we have Nebulous's planet introduced. The living tribunal is going to blow up Nebulous's planet as a stand in for earth. And that's going to bring everything to a close. Well, that's just really convenient that Nebulous exists then. Right. He doesn't seem that bad so far. So far, he just gave him an awesome stick that helped him defeat Mordo. Cackled about being able to control him, but did he actually ever control him? No. So there and we then go. he took a stick back. Yeah. I'll take that back now. Thanks. He looks really cool. I'll say something positive. I do think he looks interesting, but weird, but interesting. But uh, otherwise, like, yeah. This, you know, the thing about Doctor Strange is like, why do his storylines last so long? Why is that a thing with him? You mean like the long meandering plot lines? Yeah, just more than any other character. Mm-hmm. Just goes on and on and on, and there's never any pauses. And every time there's a pause, we're so happy, and we think it's the greatest story ever. And then it starts up another big, long meandering thing that just doesn't matter. It's weird. it just never ends. And you're right. It just feels like they're making it up, literally, as they sit down. So whenever Victoria Bentley came back in the story, I was like, ooh. Yeah. she's once again, just like Laura Brown, just like... Jane Foster, she's just the woman in the background that the plot is about, but doesn't actually matter. She's like um, 
the unnamed woman that does have a name, but I always forget what it is because like she doesn't Clea? do anything. Clea, thank you. I always want to say Cersei, but I know it's not Cersei. Yeah, Clea. Literally the new Clea. Just another girl for him to rescue. I don't have anything else to say about the Doctor Strange nah, story if you're ready for Thor. Let's, let's go to Thor because that actually was fun. Thor 145, Abandoned on Earth. Okay, so Thor has successfully beaten two of the Enchanters while stripped of his powers. While back in Asgard, Odin beat the third Enchanter while he has turned off all of their powers. The police have shown up. They're capturing the Enchanters. The Asgardians, Thor, Sif, and Balder are like, whoa, okay, that's done. And Balder's like, I'm in love with Sif, but I can't tell Thor. And uh, Odin, standing over the um, dead Enchanter, grabs his living talisman and wrenches it off of his chest and crushes it. So I guess it's the not-so-living talisman. And he's like, Asgard's foes are going to die. I have spoken. I am just and merciful, but I'm also vengeful. Let's get some... um, you know, some really wrath speak going on here. I will judge righteousness. And anyone who doesn't say what I tell them, anyone who doesn't do what I say, they're not the righteousness. So, hey, son, (laughs) I'm in a mood. You're going to do what I say and come home? And Sif is like, yes, I will come home. And Baldur's like, yes, I will come home. And Thor's like, well. (laughs) And I was like, fine. I strip you of your power. You are unworthy. And he basically takes all of the enchantment out of Thor's hammer, all of the enchantment out of his power. All he has is big, strong dude. That's all he is now. And he collapses to the ground in Don Blake's office. And the janitor's like, hey, I knew Don Blake knew Thor, but what are you doing here? Then the ringmaster shows up. He's got his circus of crime. They're looking for a strongman. Their previous strongman has collapsed and they're interviewing strongmen. They need somebody specially strong to pull this special job. And they've got two tests for all possibly uh, interviewing strongmen. Whenever who should wander through the area but Thor in civilian garb, he runs across Princess Python's python, ties it in a knot, um, Princess Python's not too happy about that, but he's like, hey, I'm super strong. I'm Thor. They're like, hey, we need a strong guy. Are you really strong? He's like, yeah, I can throw my hammer at this telephone pole and break it in two and knock it down. They're like, that's great. Who needs telephones anyway? He's like, if only I had all of my power, I would have turned that telephone pole into matchsticks. But, um, but anyway, so then Ringmaster hypnotizes Thor with his Ringmaster hat because that's what he does. And they go to a lead model of a real golden bull to see if Thor can lift it. Sure enough, he can lift it because he is just that strong. Uh, the test is to walk a distance of 60 feet with this giant leaden bull. And he does. He's so strong. They're like, yay, you're going to be able to do everything we want you to do. And once you do it, we're going to kill you. Continue next issue. Mm-hmm. This was fun. This was fun. This was light, but it was fun. It was Thor. Well, and it's like, I don't know if it's a new direction because, you know, how who, who knows how long it'll last, but it's something different for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Odin is terrible. Well, I was really surprised that they just flat out had him win. Like, I thought that would be drawn out longer for some reason. I was mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, woohoo on page three when it's just like him standing there and the guy's dead. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> uh, but then yeah, he like it kind of makes sense. But it, like, I guess he's in combat um, blood mode because he goes like full Klingon after that, like after it's over, right? And gets all crazy rage, which was kind of interesting. 
And I realized I completely overlooked the um, the credits. So super quick, produced by Marvel's peerless purveyors of pandemonious pageantry, Smiling Stanley and Jolly Jack Kirby, embellished by Valiant Vince Coletta, lettered by Swingin' Sammy Rosen. Yay. Now you know. I like the opener, too, because the two guys are just like, oh, man, we have no power. Right. Just like standing there. They look kind of like idiots now because they're just all dressed up and nowhere to go. Cops arrest him. Um, Balder is still pining for Sif, but so far has not expressed that out loud to annoy anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this idea. See, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I like that, like, okay, you strip him of his power. That also includes his enchantments, which also includes Don Blake. So, like, Thor has never had to, li- at least not lately, Thor has not had to live on Earth because um, Don Blake does the living on Earth, right? Don Blake has the social security number and the job in the apartment right. in theory. So like now what does Thor do? You know, <laughs> like he doesn't even have like a citizenship or anything here. So I guess he tries out to be a strong man. What else can he do? There's not much else. Uh, him being sort of like, you know, rudderless mm-hmm. was kind of a neat change because mm-hmm. he treasures his mortal life. But he has certain trappings of his mortal life, and Odin has removed those trappings and says, here, mm-hmm. now go live your mortal life. And Thor's like, well, crap, I can't exactly now. Now, personally, if I was Thor, I probably would have just taken a taxi to Avengers Mansion and hoped that my good buddy Tony Stark would have gave me an apartment or something. Or Captain but, America or somebody. Or somebody. Yeah, because like Hercules is getting to hang out there right. in, the, in the Olympian room. Or Asgardian yeah. room. Yeah, because Hercules has Thor's room, so that wouldn't have worked yeah, out. Yeah, that would have worked. Right. Fight for the bed. You're right. He doesn't really care about the Avengers. You ever notice that? Like, mm-hmm. like after that one time where he visited them and it was a whole new roster and Cap wasn't home, he's just like, eh, I guess that part of my life's over. And when he talks about them, it's always with glowing terms, but he never like looks fondly on them. No, except for this annual where he just randomly showed up recently. Right. Um, do you feel like the circus of crime always shows up when the hero's at their lowest? (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, you have nothing else to do? Well, here we are. We are the circus. Join us. (laughs) Look into my hat. Your will is my will. He didn't do the chant, my will is your will thing that he always does. No, he did not. I feel like, oh, go ahead. The hammer, he throws the hammer and it doesn't come back. I do have to wonder if... In this current magicless state, if somebody else who is strong could lift the hammer? Good question. Uh, also, is it still indestructible? I mean, I guess it's still made of the Uru metal or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, can it be broken? I kind of feel like like he has the en- enchantment power, but even like his strength, like his dad said, you have the natural born strength, you know, that's due you because you're an Asgardian. But like, I feel like he's not as strong as he normally is, not to get all nerdy about stats, but. Right. Like it takes him a long time to kill the stupid python or, you know, wrap it up. And then like when he lifts up that cow uh, in the end, you can see like the drawing. It looks like he's shaking to lift it. Mm-hmm. They're Whereas, doing like, the whole like reduced Superman who's still super but not yeah. planet planet moving. Right. Like old Thor would have just lifted that with his pinky or something. So Right. It's going to be interesting. The enchanters are not gone forever, but they're gone as far as we're concerned. Um, wow. the one that Odin killed and that talisman that he crushed, mm-hmm. they come back in Thor 486. Okay. And then all of the enchanters come back in the second volume of Thor around issue 15 or 16. They were kind of much ado about nothing, weren't they? A bit. They were like 
this legacy we'd never heard of that everybody was worried about because they're coming. The Enchanters are coming. Oh, my God. We've been talking about this for 20, 100 years. Mm-hmm. And then it took like an issue to kill them. What else? Okay. The strong man who's laid out on the bed is actually a Circus of Crime character who has shown up at other issues and will show up in the Circus of Crime again. But today he's out. Okay. That was just convenient for the plot, I guess. Yep. I love like their test for strongmen is to shoot a human missile at somebody's like, chest. Yeah, withstand. And they have to withstand. <laughs> it's like zero people are going to be able to do that. But okay. Right. Uh, yeah. But I don't have much to say, I guess. But that was fun. I liked it. It was fun. I liked that issue of Thor. Waiting for the end. Mm-hmm. I was so excited when I turned the page and it said the end. I clapped. No, like, ye yay. all. Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby have, for thee alone, created yonder masterwork. Aided most ably by Vince Coletta embellisher, Artie Simic letterer, thus speaketh Forbush. (sighs) (laughs) It's the end. Hogan finds the banner of his people. He's like, yay, we can be free now. Um, Mogul is on his flying carpet about to release the Purple Pie Plague or whatever it was. And from a crystal ball, the Olibar guy who's been helping them kills Mogul with his magic powers. And they're all like, yay, he's dead. Olibar, you're going to reign here. Um, all of my people are free. Let's go home. The end. Yep. That's it. Yep. And other than, okay, that's finally done. I <laughs> There's did, nothing yeah. in this story that I had a single thought about. Well, it's kind of interesting that like, this Satan army is impossible to beat, but then there was also just a gun in the basement somewhere that you can mm-hmm. beat them with. But yeah, otherwise they didn't have a lot to say either. Thor so somehow has the authority to make people princes in countries that aren't even his. Well, he is a god. If anyone's going to make somebody a prince, it's going to be a god, right? I suppose the divine right true. of kings. That's true. We don't even in the tales of Asgard. We don't even go back to Asgard to celebrate. No, the end of the story. They're riding off in the sunset on their horses. Beginning next issue, The Origin of the Inhumans, enough said. Do you think they're like drawing this and they just look and say, Stan, can't we do like the Inhumans or something instead? Yeah. Like seriously. I feel Um, bad dogging on this, but it's like it really just – like they weren't trying. They weren't. Well, it's a really exciting series. Actually, before we do our summative thoughts on the series, because let's go over to Gene. Okay. Um, Gene has actually sent us his thoughts via audio recording this time. Ooh. So we're going to insert those right here. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end. Hey everyone, Gene Hendricks here, your Asgardian advisor, to give you my read to the final Tales of Asgard in 45. So this is the end, and it's as far from the Norse as could possibly be imagined. A warrior tells a thief how to cast a spell, destroying an evil sorcerer with his alchemical potion while he's flying a carpet. If this was how it was going to proceed, then I'm kind of glad it's over. On the whole, though, this whole backup series was fun. I enjoyed reading them all, even the ones that had very little to do with Norse lore, like this one. I hope, through these brief reviews I've given you, that the hosts and listeners have learned a little something about my religion and worldview. If any of you, be it Mike, John, or one of the listeners, needs an opinion on Norse lore, please feel free to contact me on social media, You can find me on pretty much any platform under The Hammer Strikes. Or you can email me directly, gene at thehammerstrikes.com. And that brings an end to Tales of Asgard. You know, like Gene says, this is a pretty great series. It just doesn't have 
as much goodness towards the back half as I wanted. I kind of feel like to me, it was at its strongest when it was actually doing tales of Asgard, like Mm -hmm. as in the way that title suggests to me is like previous things that have happened before the Thor we're reading now. Like that's the kind of stuff I liked. I guess all that's true. But like, I mean like initially it started with the origin of the world and like baby Thor and kid Thor. And those were more fun. Those were more fun to me. And then like that whole, his quest to be able to lift his hammer and all that stuff and find glory. And Mm -hmm. that was cool. I think when it started spiraling for me is that, remember that, that story about the freaking sword. We'll never forget that story. The cracked sword that started the Argonaut quest. Yeah, from there That's on exactly out. exactly what I was thinking. It just turned into Doctor Strange for me. Like, just never-ending. No one read the last issue. Who cares? And there were some fun elements to that Argonaut quest. We liked some of the beats there. Mm-hmm. But the story as a whole didn't seem to have a point. It led us to their Ragnarok unveiling, which was kind of a cool moment. Yeah, true. But then this. And this has lasted for, like, over ten issues. Ragnarok is pretty important to the mythology. So yeah, that was good that they got that in there at least. Mm-hmm. It does raise all the questions of they've known Loki's going to be the betrayer for all this time. What are they doing? I guess that's true. It's really basically that last half of the sword. And then this story like that was not great. And it's just lasted so long. It feels like it's been forever. They had lots of one and two part stories and then two big arcs that were that were not as awesome. But yeah, we're going to start a series called Origin of the Inhumans next issue. Oh, no. Not an origin. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. They, it, they did that already. It didn't make any sense. Well, now they're going to make it make sense because now we've got Cree. <sighs> okay. Well, that's cool, maybe. Um, and that goes until about the time that all of the comics that have multiple stories are splitting into titles. Thor basically yeah. takes over his whole book. As like the last phase of that. So we're we're so close, people. We're so close. These anthology things are going to go away in like five minutes. Before we go on to our next book, of course, we just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of the the comments that Gene did send into the show. Uh, He has been uh, in what's the word? An invaluable part of our Thor Mm -hmm. discussions. Um, Having a friend who is able to sort of like key into this culture and like the actual knowledge of the of the of the the lore supporting it was very very cool. Yeah, I really liked, especially in the beginning when they were pretending to be the authority on you know on Asgard and its creation. It was neat to see like how they how they got it right and how they got it wrong. Um, right for as long as I'm that for, I'm, I'm looking forward to his comments on the on the Inhumans backup. So that should be great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's see. Well, we're at a crossroads. What do you want to do? Yeah, let's throw in this annual. I, I, I'm game if you are. I think it's going to be not talked about much, so let's do it. Yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 4, or King Size Special Number 4, sorry. Uh, The Web and the Flame, 41 frantic pages of fabulous far-out thrills as Spidey and the Torch battle and brawl from coast to coast. Um, Did I miss where it said who did it, or they just don't put that on here? Oh, it's like a surprise. Here we go. I did miss it. Mystery lovers, we've got a goofy new treat for you. All we're telling is that our Lilton leader, Stan the Man Lee, scripted this yarn. Mickey Ever-Delightful DeMeo did the inking, and adorable Jerry Fieldman did the lovable lettering. But we're keeping the penciler's identity a secret till the end. And so, 
You've got the whole frenzied issue to figure out who he is. Is that a deal? Then let's take off. Why did they do that? I don't really know. But anyway, um, it's Larry Lieber, by the way. So whatever. Yeah. Okay. So it has not been in the credits for a minute. It was just really weird. Really weird. It's just like a game they wanted to play. Anyway, Spider-Man's spidering around and he sees the human torch fly through a bank truck. That's what they're called, right? Yeah. Armor truck. And he's like, oh, well, Human Torch is being a baddie, so I'm going to fight him because I, lo- I love hating the Human Torch. So they get into a fight. But then it turns out that it was a movie set and they were filming Human Torch Gone Wild, which is awkward. But anyway, um, so Spider-Man's like, oh, I feel bad. And he leaves. J. Jenner Jameson's like, haha, that was funny. And he prints stuff about it. Some guy reads that. We'll get to that later. Oh, no, we'll get to that right now because he's like, I have a plan. This mysterious figure in a, in a blue hat from the agent, from the Sergeant Fury and his Highland Commandos issue. Same guy, probably. Little <laughs> uh, Claw, 20 years later. Tony Claw. Uh, he like reads something in the newspaper. He's like, I got an idea. So then on the radio, they hear, We're looking to hire Spider Man to be in a Spider Man and Human Torch movie. And Peter Parker's like, I like money. Movies make money. So he uses his own money to get on an airplane and go to Hollywood. So there's the coast to coast for you. He shows up as Spider Man. Uh, and then like, it seems to be a legitimate movie set because they're happy to see him and there's actually lines and he and Human Torch agree to like be cool and do those lines together. And they do the whole time. Spider-Man spider sense is going off in this certain direction, but he doesn't ever investigate it for no reason. Um, and then all of a sudden, like one at one point later, uh, they're supposed to get together and do more takes and the Human Torch just attacks Spider-Man and Spider-Man's like, what the heck? This is not part of the script. They get into a fight. Torch acts a little weird because he's not quite as maneuverable as he usually is, and he doesn't say anything, and then he flies away. Spider-Man's like, well, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. So he goes to to uh, Johnny's trailer, rips the wall off because that's cool. Johnny doesn't like that. So they start fighting. Turns out while they're fighting, there's two people who are watching. The two people are the wizard who is posing as Human Torch, as he used to do back in Strange Tales, and Mysterio. And the two of them got together because the wizard read the paper, came up with an idea, put an ad out for Mysterio because he figured Mysterio is the kind of guy that helped him with the theatrics. And basically the idea was to pit the two of them together. So it's working. They're fighting each other back and forth. Eventually they realize, hey, this is weird. I can't remember how they realize it. But at some point they realize, oh, Spider-Man's spider sense again. He's like, you know, I keep – Feeling something from over there, and that's not you. So what's going on? Hey, by the way, did you really attack me five minutes ago? I should have asked you. Human Torch is like, no, I was reading my lines. Oh, so there's someone. So they attack where the spider sense is coming from. Uh, They figure out pretty quick that it's the Wizard of Mysterio. There's a bunch of different traps. This is where the issue just goes on and on and on and on forever. There's a trap that's like a, a giant gas thing. Then there's a trap that's like a giant monkey robot. And then finally the last trap is like they get stuck inside a tunnel that's surrounded by glass, a glass cage or something, and meteorites are shot at them. And then Spider-Man like or Human Torch uses his uh, heat in a very uh, – <sighs> thin blast or something thin intense blast to to cut a hole in the glass and spider-man uses his webbing to reverse the meteorites or something and that makes them attack the wizard and mysterio and they get captured and then spidey's about to leave but johnny's like hey did you know that mysterio and the wizard were wanted in 10 states so we got reward i'll split it with you and spider-man's like you're not so bad after all and then he has a plane ride home the end 
Now, as awesome as he made that story sound. <laughs> I did not love this one. This was rough. It's pretty rough, right? The only thing I liked I, about it was the kind of some of the nods to Strange Tales, which are also rough. I kind of like the first half. Mm. It's almost right exactly the halfway point because I was looking at pages as well. I was reading this to Keenan because it's uh, they this this year they're always like bragging about their page counts on the covers. So forty one pages, and it's right around page twenty that the story goes. I would give it a little further. I was fine until they were not captured on page twenty six. I think twenty eight, okay. something like that. It's like this is where I thought it should have ended right here. And gotcha. then it goes on for two more problems. Like, like so many more pages. Another 15 pages of story. Another 15 pages of robot monkeys and weird meteorites. And it's like, dude, these guys are not that difficult. Yeah. It just felt um, long-winded. And like all the other yeah, annuals we've had, except Fantastic Four, it doesn't further anything, really. So that did make me think about the Strange Tales annual, because that was another big Torch Spider-Man team-up. Mm-hmm. I thought about that, too, yeah. And how much and, you hated it. Yeah. I don't dislike this one as much, but no. it does feel as pointless. Uh, Mysterio and the Wizard. They're like, hey, we've got two bad guys in common. Because, you know, mm-hmm. I've fought the Torch lots of times, says Mysterio. And the wizard's like, yeah, at all those times I fought Spider-Man. Yeah. So we have these two bad guys in common. Let's team up. Uh-huh. There's no reason these two guys should be working together. None whatsoever. I don't think they ever do again. If they do, I'll eat a shoe. Um, yeah. He's, really like, gonna eat a he's shoe. like, he's like, oh, my villain was fighting Mysterio's villain. So I have a plan. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That just seemed unnecessary. But then what my real problem is, is like, are they responsible for the entire movie? Or was the movie thing legit? Because it seems legit, except for them. I think that the way the story is told, we're supposed to understand that the wizard created an entire movie studio Mm. called Paragon Pictures or whatever, hired people to make it all look legit Mm -hmm. in order to lure them. And he did this between two pages of comic with the caption, a short time later. Well, Submariner did it. That reminded me of that issue, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, at least Submariner had, like, you know, all the time before that issue leading yeah. up to it. This is like Torch and Spider-Man have their encounter on the movie set. Wizard sees it and gets an idea. And a short time later, he has created a corporation and staffed it. And yeah, yeah. How, how cool would it have been if Human Torch at some point said, a fake movie, not again. Right? Because I felt like we'd done this movie a bit before. Well, and Human Torch was involved in the last one. That's right, with Submariner. So, yeah. It's weird. Like, it had a lot of cool... It had a lot of elements of things that made me think of things before, but those things before weren't necessarily great either. Like the wizard posing as Human Torch. He's done that already. Uh, Yeah. And then, like we were saying, that annual where Human Torch and Spider-Man fight before. But yeah, it was nothing that was exciting. I was excited to see Mysterio because I have a story to tell you, which I've actually already told you, but I'm going to pretend to tell you for the first time for listeners' sake. Uh So I've been reading these comics to my son, and my son is almost 12. And when this comes out, he's already 12. He has a delightful sense of humor, as many preteens do. And he said, Dad, Dad, the next time you do an episode that covers a Mysterio story, you should title it, Sir, My Eyes Are Down Here. (laughs) 
Which we will be doing. Which is exactly where this title came from. Because he has eyes on his chest. They're not quite as low in this particular artist's rendition. But go look Mm. at Steve Ditko Mysterio. He has eye boobs. Yeah. When was the last time we saw Mysterio when he was a psychologist? Yeah. Or a therapist or whatever. So at least he's back to being Mysterio again. That's He's back to being Mysterio again. And there is another really good Mysterio story coming up in about a year of comics. Because it's in the mid-60s, and we've done 53, I think, or 52. Um, it's really, really good. But um, this is less than good. All right. So shall we move on to the rest of it? Because there's more original content. I wrote down all these comments about it while we were reading, and I don't really want to talk about any of them. Okay. Um, okay. There's one that I'm reading. I'm like, okay, what does it say there? Page 30, panel 2. Go to page 30. And let's see what it says, because it might be funny. Don't knock yo-yos? Yeah. Okay. So Peter, so Spider is like, I'll turn in my webbing for a pink yo-yo if this isn't true. He's like, don't knock yo-yos, webhead. I was the star yo-yo champ in my whole kindergarten class. And Keenan's like, weird flex, Johnny. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> if you like your yo-yos, that's fine. <laughs> Anyways, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Um. Okay, so yeah, I'm done. Um, all right, so double page spread called The Coffee Bean Barn, which just shows all the supporting cast at the Bean Barn. And the only thing I think was really funny about that was uh, Anna Watson's in the corner with Aunt May, and she says, so this is where it's happening, May. And May's like, cool it, sweetie. We don't want these cats to dig that we're hippies. That made me laugh. <laughs> and it also explains why they're there all the time, because <laughs> lately they have been for some reason. Right. Um, then it's really cool what the well-dressed Spider-Man will wear, and it explains like how he hides his costume and how his lenses work, which I thought was neat, and how his his spider webs work and the cartridges and all the various ways he can twip things and how his wall crawling works, so how his horrible parachute things work that are dumb uh, and his shields that are dumb, uh, how strong he is. He shows a pinup of him lifting stronger people on a disc that's kind of neat like thing hercules thor submariner and hulk uh i liked all that a lot if i was a spider-man you know big time spider-man fan as a kid this would be stuff to eat up right here Mm -hmm. um and then there's a pinup of some of your favorite villains actually all pretty much all the cool villains green goblin like a two-page spread Craven, Doc ock vulture sandman electro and the rhino and then lastly just because comics used to be super cool like this it's even giving you a diagram of of peter and uh uh, what's his face is uh harry's harry's bedroom or apartment which is just crazy funny but particularly of note is peter's like super secret spider-man closet with all his cameras and gadgets and cartridges and costumes and stuff but it's just in his closet if harry walks into his room and opens his closet the secret's out he says he has to lock the closet because Harry's home. So I guess he locks it. But yeah, it's not, it's not Spider-Man and his amazing friends secret, Tiv. You know, like there's no trophy that he pulls on and like everything rotates and stuff. That would be cooler. But he's Peter, so that's not a thing. That never really made sense to me how that worked in the cartoon either. But I assume the X-Men installed it or something. Right. Anyway, um, that's it. The, the scene with Harry here did remind me of something I thought about with this story connecting to the main story is if we slot this in right before the Dr. Octopus issue, Uh then Peter being off in Hollywood for a time would help explain why Harry is upset about Peter's absences. Yeah. I still think it's just 
of Gwen, but we haven't got that far yet. I like that too. It makes way more sense. There are two little tidbits on that last page, though, that need to be brought out. Okay. One, this is where they reveal that Larry Lieber's penciled the whole thing. Uh-huh. Why that was a secret, I don't know. Yeah, right. We want to tell you one year in advance that our 1968 Spidey special will feature the long-awaited mysterious saga of Peter Parker's parents. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting that they planned that far ahead. Right? And I know that story. That's the fifth annual. I told you I like one, three, and five. Mm-hmm. That's the fifth and final Spider-Man annual for this uh, era. And uh, it's 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 a humdinger. I think it's the Red Skull, right? It is the Red Skull. Is it really in that, though, or is that later? Mm-hmm. It's the Red Skull. Oh, I thought that was established later. So see you then, Pussy Willow. Wow, I didn't mean to spoil everybody. I thought that was like a 90s thing. Okay. Well, that's it, I guess, right? Five comics? Yeah, that was five we comics. Um, two so, of which were pretty great, one which which was okay, and two were like, eh. 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 So next episode... Five more issues, Tales yeah. of Suspense 95, The Avengers 45. So I, I'm not going to say numbers. That's boring. Tales of Suspense 95 has Iron Man versus the Gray Gargoyle on the cover with a bespectacled stone person in the background that turns out to be a person. Then we've got. Um, and Captain America and Sharon go on a date. <gasps> Sweet. That's really exciting. Then we have the Avengers 45 Blitzkrieg in Central Park with the Super Adaptoid. Oh, no. Tales to Astonish 97, the Legion of the Living Lightning with Hulk smashing the Statue of Liberty's torch. That's crazy. And Didn't sadly, Fury just like, make all that work well two years ago? <laughs> Daredevil yeah, 33, Behold the Beetle. Ooh. Okay. Haven't seen him in a while. No. And Fantastic Four 68, his mission, destroy the Fantastic Four. And the thing is all wrapped up in some mechanical do-whatsis. We don't know what's going on there. I think it's Warlock from New Mutants. Oh, because we just had the other Warlock. We might as well have the new Warlock. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all that's coming at you in just seven days' time, kids. So be here at Make Ours Marvel. So where can they find us if they want to be here next week? In seven days, you should go to MakeOursMarvel.com. There you can click all the links to subscribe to your favorite podcast apps or just the RSS feed. Or just click on the show itself right there on the website if you're that kind of person. Uh, You can also use the site to find our Facebook and Twitter accounts and join in the fun there. Or you can just write us directly on the website with the contact form. Or you can... uh, just write podcast at makearsmarvel.com. You can find Mike on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. Find me on Twitter at John Reads Comics. We're probably also on MySpace or some other websites. I don't know. <laughs> probably. Um, on our website, makearsmarvel.com is a PayPal link. We always appreciate any donations you might want to give to support the show. And um, yeah, we are we are full steam ahead, heading into a brand new era. So I'm glad we had some good comics today because that was very sad last episode. Mm-hmm. All right, so be back in seven days' time. I don't understand the zinger that I've written. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never understand it, so that's fine. I have this zinger here, and I don't know what it's referencing. Huh, that's interesting. Well, say it anyway. Okay, so I think at some point in one of the stories we talked about, did they think aliens landed in Central Park? Oh, Was gosh. that in the Spider-Man annual? Maybe. No, because they're in Hollywood. 
I don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 because the Torch is fighting aliens in Central Park at the beginning in that fake movie. Then the real movie that Spider-Man messes up. So, uh, now that we've cleared up the reference, until I... aliens do land in Central Park, full of all the Marvel superheroes' superpowers, make ours Marvel. Marvel.